Hello and welcome to Final Games. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host Liam Edwards and a happy new year to you all. Thank you so much for joining me and for listening to Final Games throughout 2018. We are now in 2019, but it's time to look back and reflect on the island of 2018. Yes, it's that time of the year for Final Games where we we make the, the the whole year that's passed us by an island, just as we do on Final Games, a deserted place. And we choose the eight games from which were released last year to take to the island of 2018. Of course, as always, this is my own personal list. It's these eight games that I would choose to take to the island of 2018. Um, Maybe we should sort of do some sort of poll for next year where it's a, a final games collective. Uh, some people want to hear my opinion on the games of the year lists. Everybody has a game of the year list these days. You know, we have passed into 2019, so thankfully most publications have finished their game of the year lists. But it is a kind of tiresome end of the year. Especially this year where most of the game of the year lists were all sort of in sync with each other. Which speaks to how amazing 2018 was for video games. Whether you're a fan of AAA, or you're a fan of indie games, or a fan of experimental games, I think, in my personal opinion, 2018 was one heck of a good year for video games. And I'm hoping that 2019 will be the same. It is, of course, a new year. There'll be new games. Maybe there'll be new systems to play them on. Uh, but, of course, first we need to look back on the island of 2018 and the eight games for which I have chosen to take to the island of 2018. More about what the place slash island will be in a little while, of course. Uh, fair warning to all of you. Some of you who will have listened to the previous islands of episodes back in the past. This is basically just me rambling for 40 minutes to an hour. Who knows? This is all one take for the most part. And it's just me doing my usual thing talking about video games. Of course, some of you who listen to Dad and Son's podcast, the podcast I do with George and Matt uh, on a weekly basis, will know that we've spoken a little bit about Game of the Year already, so some of you might know some of the games that I'm going to choose this year. But I've certainly tried to balance it out, and uh, I'm very happy with this year's list. Uh, there's a lot of honorable mentions that I will talk about at the end, because there were so many great games this year, and... It was very hard to nail them down, but even now looking at the eight in front of me, I'm very happy with the final eight that I would take to the island of 2018. I would, if someone, if a, if a guest came to me throughout this year and, and said this was their list for the game, the eight games they wanted to take to a deserted place, I would be immensely happy to talk about all of them. So, fair warning, this is obviously just me rambling about my game of the year picks, um, but we'll have some fun with it in our traditional final games. Uh, standard. But before we jump in, I do want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to Final Games throughout 2018. Obviously, a lot of people have noticed that Final Games has sort of slowed a little down. It's become a little more selective uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, we, uh, well, I relaunched it back in sort of September for a season two, and we had a space of uh, six or so fantastic episodes from some guests I've always wanted to get on the show, and including new formats with uh, two guests at the same time, uh, Alexis and Lottie from Cultist Simulator, which turned out to be some of people's favorite episode ever, so that worked out really well. 2019 Final Games will of course continue, very much similar to how it's been going now. 
I still hope you're all enjoying the episodes. I have some sort of big personal stuff happening right now that I'm in the process of. Some of you will have noticed on Twitter that I mentioned I'm moving to Kyoto in January. So there's a lot going on, but Final Games is true and deep to my heart. It's my favorite thing that I've ever done. And it will of course always continue for as long as I'm breathing. Just bear with me. I am a one-man team. But thank you so much for listening to this show. As always, it means the world to me. A big shout out to everybody in the Final Games Discord. That Those guys, the small community that it is, keep it alive because I'm useless in these things. And thank you so much, guys. But anyway, it's time to move on to the eight games that I'm going to take to the island of 2018. So let's listen to some music from the first game. And let's, of course dive straight into it. Okay, so kicking things off, I wanted to be very obvious. I wanted to get the inevitable triple A game from this year out of the way. Now, a lot of you will know that this year we had sort of a big, big resurgence in triple A games. Uh, I'm not talking about like the Assassin's Creed Odysseys or the Fifas or, or whatever like that. Like big budget, particularly detailed massive open world games that, you know, that we're used to with AAA. Think Skyrim, think GTA, you know, not the the ropey once a year annual series that we call AAA, like Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed. But it was the return of games like Spider-Man, God of War, and of course, the first game on my list, which is a surprise to me as well, Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, with this list, I had a lot of games down, of course, like we all have. Uh, and then it was a, I was thinking, well, Spider-Man I really liked, God of War I really liked, but I had problems with. And also Red Dead Redemption I liked, but had problems with. And I thought, well, it would be smart to basically only choose one of them to take to the island, because they're all fairly similar in how particularly detailed and structured they are in terms of AAA. Of course, they all play wildly and vastly different, but the the same DNA of AAA is in all three of them. And the other games on the list that I'll go through as we progress towards the island of 2018, you'll notice are games I really enjoyed, that I enjoyed a lot more than Spider-Man and God of War and Red Dead Redemption. But I felt like it was appropriate to take one of the big three from this year to the island. And for that, I'm choosing the game that released from Rockstar Studios and published by Rockstar Games uh, in October of 2018. 
It is, of course, the Western action-adventure game that is Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, full disclosure for this game, I had a tiny little part of it. I did a tiny bit of work before I left Rockstar on this game. Nothing massive in any way. It was literally towards the end of my time at Rockstar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Rockstar were very kind to still give me credit in some way um, by including me in the credits list that I've seen. So that was nice. Um, but that is no bearing or reflection on why I chose the game. A lot of you who um, will also listen to Dead and Sons as, long, as well as Final Games will know that I have great respect for what they've tried to do with Red Dead Redemption 2. And also I have massive, massive gripes with some of the stuff they have been persistently trying to do. Um, it's weird because I read an article that came out maybe a couple of days ago from Waypoint. I think it was Patrick Klepek who talked about if you just do the main story missions of RDR2, just how much all of the other stuff does not matter. Like all of the camp stuff, all of the buying weapons, all of the skinning animals, all of the fluff of the game that it tries to, the game tries to make you feel is uh, what makes the game so strong, uh, just is kind of irrelevant. And it really got me thinking about my time with RDR Redemption and what I had problems with and what I didn't. And it's strange because the game is a lot of fun. It is fun to be a cowboy. It's fun to go around holding up people, taking their money, and if they run away, lassoing them and chasing them and taking them to a dark place in the woods and having your way with them in uh, ways you shouldn't have. But at the same time, it just has so much in it. So much, so much particularity to it, whether it's, you know, skinning animals and choosing to either take the meat or take their fur and then putting it on your horse and then trying to get back to camp so it doesn't rot, uh, whether it's holding up uh, NPCs in the world and trying to rob them or you're trying to antagonize them for information, while also at the same time you're holding like five different button combinations on the controller so it could all fall apart at any moment. It is a strange game where it is overly complex and complicated, but at its very core, it has these fun missions like most Rockstar games that you don't even need to do away, do with all that other fluff on the side. You can just do the main missions and have a fun time. Yeah, it's great to be a cowboy, and I wanted to explore the world, and when I was thinking about choosing RDR2 over God of War and Spider-Man, it was more about, like, thinking back to the final game's way of thinking. Like, this is not my particularly favorite game, but if I was going to be stuck on an island with a video game, well, an open-world game is a good start, so that includes Spider-Man. God of War is kind of an open world, but is very linear in the way you explore it. Spider-Man, the city is amazing and you, you fly through it and the movement is incredible, but it is very much copy and paste buildings and over a period of time, the swinging doesn't necessarily get boring, but it it definitely it definitely becomes old hat after a while. And, you know, after you've taken out like your 50th enemy encampment, you're kind of done with it. Whereas Red Dead Redemption, I found, like, even if I was getting incredibly frustrated with the complexity of all the different systems and all the scripting and all that kind of thing, 
like trotting along with my my perfectly manicured horse that I spent most of my very limited cowboy dollars on uh traveling across that world which is gorgeous using the cinematic mode and stuff like that gave me more amusement and more uh pleasure than the other two games God of War is a lot of fun with the interactions between you know Atreus and Kratos but it definitely becomes old as well after a while, whereas I never got bored of just being a cowboy, you know, customizing Arthur Morgan, who I like as a character very much. I actually kind of like him more than John Marston, which is really weird because when I applied to work at Rockstar, they asked me what my favorite character was, and I said, John Marston. <laughs> so that tell, that, that's a good thing. Uh, it tells you how well they did with Arthur Morgan's character. But, you know, customizing him and putting clothes on him, and customizing your horse to make him look like one heck of a cool steed. And then just basically traveling across the across the west, holding people up. It was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, this game has flaws. And I highly recommend that you watch Nakey Jakey's YouTube video about how Rockstar's design has kind of become problematic and old compared to other games that are being released now. And how they're going to have to rethink things for the next, you know, GTA or Red Dead Redemption 3 or whatever. Um, I have not played Red Dead Online. That obviously adds some weight to replaying a game over and over again if you're going to take it to an island. From what I've heard, Red Dead Online is not that great. It's not very fun. I don't know how well it's doing. Um, but that, you know, that's extra content on top of a very good open world experience. Uh, and also, if I get bored uh, of being a cowboy, I can just play poker or I can play uh, uh, dominoes for a while. I'm no good at five-finger fillet, but uh, I can, you know, do blackjack and dominoes and, and that kind of thing. I get games within games. It's really good. Yeah, so um, I would definitely take Red Dead Redemption 2 as my triple A selection for this list. Um, I don't fully agree with all the praise that it got. I'm very, very happy that it did well because of my friends who still work at Rockstar and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't fully agree with the 10 out of 10s that it received. If you're interested in more, please go back and listen to the episodes of Denison's podcast where I talk about RDR and its particular, particular flaws. But for a game I would take to the island of 2018, I can't really go wrong with being a cowboy. AAA, well, we got a little bit of the AAA out of the way. I think there's another AAA game. I think some people would consider AAA now uh, in, in, in a bit. 
Not yet. Um, but first we must talk about the island itself, the island of 2018, and what this year's island will be. Uh, everybody will know that every year we choose, like, a place from a game from this year's releases of video games. Uh, like a nice place that we would want to visit in our first year, the inaugural year, we chose the world of, uh, I think it's Eos from Final Fantasy XV. This year, I was thinking about all the nice places you could go, and of course, the RDR world seemed really nice. You know, the, the West. But, you know, you have all those bears, and animals that kind of hurt you, snakes and all that kind of stuff. I felt, I don't really want to deal with that too much. Uh, and then I thought about some other places, like the, the ship from the Obra Din, which we will most definitely get to in a little bit. Um, but then I found about, like, I think that looking at that would give me a headache for a long time. And there were many other places that I tried to think about. Uh, one from an upcoming game on this list. But then I thought about the environments and the uh, the animals that are within that would be too dangerous to go there. You'll know what I mean when we get to it. But what I did remember, and this is kind of cheating a little bit, because it's not specifically a region that was created this year. It's been around for 20 years. We all know it very, very well. But this year it got a... A facelift. It got completely remade in HD and looks gorgeous and I loved my time in it. And that is the region of Kanto from Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. It's the original Pokemon world, the, well, the, the original Pokemon region, which is of course based on the Kanto region of Japan, which is where Tokyo is. Um, and it's gorgeous. Like, if anyone's played that game and has the nostalgia of the older games, you know, red, blue, and yellow, you instantly recognize a lot of the places. But seeing Pallet Town and and seeing, like, um, Viridian City and all these other places in HD in beautiful, vibrant colors for the first time was delightful. I got such a nostalgia hit when I stepped out of my house and mum said goodbye, and we walked into Pallet Town for the first time. It was it was amazing. It was really, really good. Um, so, I would definitely choose the region of Kanto. In the most recent episode of uh, Final Games, we we spoke with Greg, who created Wondersong. And he also chose the Sinnoh region of Pokemon. And we discussed whether we could have Pokemon actually there and we never fully answered whether you know because i say that one of the rules is that animals and wildlife would be there but are pokemon too sentient are pokemon too smart to be considered just animals i don't know but because this is me and because this is my choice i'm going to say that the pokemon will be there because i want to see pokemon so if we're going to kanto even though it might be a little dangerous some of the pokemon we run into um, I would like all the Pokemon to be there. So, Greg, I apologize if you're listening to this, that I didn't let you have the Pokemon back then. But now we can have the Pokemon, because I'm going, and I'm the dungeon master to this show. So, we're gonna go to Kanto, we're gonna see some Pokemon. For the island of 2018, it is Kanto. And the next game we're gonna take alongside Red Dead Redemption 2, to the island of Kanto, is the wonderful, beautiful game by Matt Makes Games. 
directed by Matt Thorson and programmed by Noel Berry. It is, of course, a game that took me by surprise and I and took a lot of people by surprise, which shouldn't have been a surprise considering the games that Matt Thorson makes are incredible. It is, of course, Celeste. Celeste released all the way back in January, 20, uh, January 25th of 2018, almost a year since Celeste got released. It received a nomination for the Game of the Year Award uh, at the Game Awards. What, is, what does Keeley call it? Yeah, the Game Awards. And, it, you know, it won Best Indie Game as well, beating out some incredible other games that I really enjoyed too. But I can't have this Island of 2018 the Kanto of 2018 list without taking Celeste. For those of you who don't know, Celeste is a platforming video game that tasks you with playing a character called Madeline. And Madeline, sort of ignoring her mum and ignoring an old lady at the bottom of it, tries to climb a mountain. Uh, and she just kind of has to climb the mountain as her for her own self-improvement. Uh, there is a lot of, there is a lot of thematics around uh, around Celeste uh, about anxiety and depression and stuff like that, and the mountain representing s uh, stuff to do with Madeline's past and like how her mental state is and stuff like that. For a lot of the game, you are being chased by the dark reflection of Madeline, which is uh, you know a sort of dark uh, palette swap version of Madeline. So, while the game is incredibly tough, it is a tough game. You die a lot. I think I died like 1,000 plus times during my first playthrough of Celeste. It is so satisfying. It is so beautiful to look at. The pixel art is great. The soundtrack is great. And, man, most of you will know, as someone who kind of designs games uh, for a living and has been making games for a while now on their own, I very much like to talk about game design, and I'm very passionately enthusiastic about game design itself. And Celeste for me is very much a game designer's game. It is so unique and wonderful in the choices that Matt and his team have made when designing Celeste. Of course, starting with Madeline's moveset where she can jump and then she can dash once in the air, and then if you hit certain parts, she can dash again. She can cling to walls, and it is all, like, incredibly tactile and responsive. To then going to the next level, which is each unique stage of the mountain, and how Matt and the team have designed each stage to test the player, but also if it's too easy, there are extra challenges in there, like the strawberries and the tapes that allow other players to get that unique difficulty that they want on top of it already being a pretty tough game. It is a game that covers all bases, is designed fantastically, and I'm not surprised at all the heaps and praise that it's got. Matt announced on Twitter the other day that I think it was something like half a million copies of Celeste have been sold this year, which is a huge number for an indie game. And just like, power to them, power to that team, because Celeste is a wonderful experience. Even if you don't pay much attention to the story, if you are someone who, I know it sounds very bad, but some people don't particularly want to be, I don't want to say preach that because that's very, that's very bad. But some people don't want to have to sacrifice gameplay for story and Celeste is not one that does that. Celeste is very 
choo Celeste chooses its words carefully and how it presents it. It's very, very powerful story at times. And as someone who has had a great 2018, 2018 for me personally was incredible. A lot of things happened this year. A lot of that are now developing into things that are going to happen in 2019. The podcasts have been going great. Danson's and, you know, Final Games has been fantastic. Uh, my own personal relationships in life have been going great as well. But at the time that I played Celeste, back in January of last year, uh, I had just come off the back of and was still dealing with the worst year of my life so far, which was 2017. Uh, some very scary and terrible things happened in 2017. And I still have not fully recovered from that time. It was, it was a scary, scary time. And I struggled with a lot of things and living in Japan by myself at the time as well didn't really help because I didn't have the support of the kind of like groups of friends I had back in the UK and that kind of thing. So around January when Celeste released, I was still sort of dealing with having sort of mini panic attacks. I was very paranoid about certain things and having this game about a girl who is determined to climb a mountain to kind of break away from the dark side of herself to overcome the dark periods in her life was very poignant. I don't want to say it's like exactly nails on the head how I was feeling, but it certainly helped. It was a cathartic way of I can I can overcome this, I can deal with it. You know, Celeste is a tough game. So reaching the top of that mountain is an achievement in itself. And it really kind of helped me not deal with what I was having going on at the time. Obviously, Madeline has panic attacks in the game as well. And I sort of could... I could sort of reflect on that myself having sort of mini panic attacks at times because of certain things that had had happened. Um... But it was definitely cathartic and it, to finish Celeste, I actually like, I don't get very much time to play games all the way to completion these days. There are so many games that I need to play to talk about on Dads and Sons and stuff like that, that Celeste was a game that I was definitely going to finish. And I finished it in two days, which for me is like a record. I sat down and I played it, I think like 10 hours every day. It was just so good. I couldn't put it down. And once I finally got to the top of that mountain, all I wanted to do was replay it. It was a wonderful experience, and I'm so happy to take it with me to Kanto, to the island of 2018. I, I hope in some way that, uh, like me, Celeste has helped other people who have experienced problems in their life to do with, you know, anxiety and depression, that kind of thing. I know that Matt himself, who made Celeste, has had problems with those similar things in the past, and that's very much why it's a believable story, and the elements about it are very trustworthy. And... I think Celeste is a game we're going to be talking about for a long time. I know it's been harked on about, and I would, I'm, I'm very happy I got to say my piece about Celeste now. Um, but yeah, let's take Celeste along with us.
Okay, jumping into the next game on my list for the island of 2018. And it's a game that also released back in January. It came out the day after Celeste. Um, it's probably the next AAA game. I think this series gets considered AAA now. Whereas, like, back a couple of years ago, if you asked anyone who's a fan of the series for the whole period it's been in existence, they would say absolutely not. This was like a cult niche series of games that was so difficult to even get to grips with until later versions on the 3DS. But this game took all of that learning and Capcom, the designers and creators of this game, created this brand new version, this console version of their hit series. And it just blew everyone away with how good it was. I'm talking, of course, about the game that released on January 2016, uh, 2016th, <laughs> 26th, for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And then it came later in August on PC. It is, of course, Monster Hunter World, the action role-playing game that you, you know, hunt monsters and you carve their, their parts to make armor and weapons and stuff. People will know if you've listened to Final Games for, uh, you know, a couple of years now. I can't believe we've been going a couple of years. It's crazy. But, you know, I've had Gaijin Hunter, the, the famous YouTuber for Monster Hunter on the show before, Adam. I've had many guests choose Monster Hunter games as part of their list. John Ricciardi from 8.4 took the, took the leap and said that he would take Monster Hunter World, and he was correct. Uh, we've had people take the 3DS games like Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate or Monster Hunter Generations. This series, has been, this series has been growing in popularity over the years for a long time now, and it's becoming more and more accessible without sacrificing too much of what makes the game so appealing in the first place. If you take like how we used to control the game on the PSP back in the day, that was less so about game design and more about just like dealing with the finicky, uh, the finicky real world problems of trying to put a game like Monster Hunter on a console like a PSP. It's almost like an impossible task that they they kind of got away with because players adapted to playing that way. But it was never going to be the ultimate version of this game. And then when the the new 3DS came out with the, the second sort of analog stick, well it wasn't, it was like a nub, a nub, it was more bearable to play games like Monster Hunter on a handheld console. But it was never truly still the ultimate version, even though ultimate was in the title of one of those games. Um, it wasn't until Monster Hunter World that came out in January of 2018, where just all of a sudden Monster Hunter became the big name, the big Capcom name, it overtook Mega Man, it overtook Street Fighter, it overtook every other Capcom game, and it became Capcom's number one franchise. Monster Hunter World was a huge success for them. I can't remember how much exactly it sold. I think it's like, it must be near 10 million now. They were, they, they sold a lot of copies. Um, I can't remember, maybe 6 million or so. I'm trying to look up the stats now, but I can't find them. But it's huge. For Capcom, this is like their biggest physical year probably in their history. Monster Hunter World came out to rave, rave reviews, mostly 9s and 10s and 8s across the board everywhere. Everybody I knew was playing it. It was, it was fantastic. And it was so cool to see so many people getting involved in a series that had been so unapproachable before because of controls, because of the lack of tutorials that deal with all the different weapons, all the different weapon styles, all the different monsters, how to deal with animation tells, 
how to craft your armor, what you should be putting together. Oh, it was insane. And then the more we had YouTubers like Arex and Gaijin Hunter and all those guys who did, you know, more accessible YouTube tutorials, as well as Monster Hunter World having that story mode that helps you to kind of understand about how to play Monster Hunter games, it became ultimately way more, way more accessible for people to play. And people just fell in love with it because behind all of the in inaccessibility and the in-depth boxes and boxes of weapon choices and crafting and all that kind of thing was this incredible action game that was always fun. Like whether it's on the 3DS or it's on the PlayStation 4, it's pretty much the same game. Everything is all about like watching the animations of the monsters, feeling like a real hunter, laying traps, setting bombs, uh, 40 minute slogs that just feel like you're going boss fight after boss fight, which is so exciting. And can I add, with it being on PlayStation 4, seeing these giant monsters in full 3D, full HD on a TV for the first time, for me was just like, wow. Seeing like a Rathalos, a huge Rathalos on the screen and trying to take it down just felt so, so exciting and was so satisfying as well, you know, cracking cracking a monster's tail off or like knocking its teeth out with, you know, my giant fucking sword. I think it was a great great sword I was playing. I can't remember what the name of the weapon I was using. Um, but, <laughs> but using that to was so satisfying because of the graphical upgrade. I don't, you know, graphics aren't everything. I'm very much someone who deals in gameplay first, graphics second. But when it comes to a game like this, that is all about animation tells and monsters, you know, giving away little hints, having as much detail as possible really, really helps. And they blew it away with Monster Hunter World. The sound, the world, the world that that game takes place in is gorgeous. It's a fantastic game. I haven't really played it much after the first couple of months because, you know, everything else came out that year. But if I was going to go to an island in 2018, one, you need a great game. Two, you need a game that's replayable. And Monster Hunter World is both of those in abundance. I'm so happy for those guys at Capcom to finally reach the audience that this game deserves. I hope if you have been interested in Monster Hunter for a while, that Monster Hunter World satisfies your your love of Monster Hunter. And also, if it's a series that you have tried to get into in the past, or it's always appealed to you, but looks very inaccessible, give Monster Hunter World a try. It's, you know, it's on PC and stuff now, so most people can play it. And with the Iceborne expansion that's coming out soon, and also Geralt of Rivia showing up, it should be even more accessible as time goes on. It's definitely maybe developing into a live service video game as it moves along. But please, by all means, give it a try. I don't think you'll regret it. It's so satisfying, and it's a game I hope to go back to soon. But yeah, let's take Monster Hunter World with us to Kanto, and let's crack some monsters.
jumping into the next game then for the island of 2018. My next choice to take with us, we've got monsters. We have got an incredible platformer. We have an open world cowboy adventure for the ages. Now it's time to do some puzzling, to get our, our brains moving in ways that we never expected to move. Um, I feel like this next video game goes beyond being a video game. It's, it's kind of how I imagine. I've never done an escape room, by the way, so this may not make any sense whatsoever. But how and, and this game feels to me like an escape room. It's a, it's a, it's a game all about giving you a space. And for you to figure out the puzzles in that space freely in a 3D world, like you're a true detective, and then figuring out what's happened. I'm, of course, talking about the wonderful puzzle video game that has those beautiful, beautiful one-bit graphics done by, I'm incredibly lucky to say this, my friend Lucas Pope. It was released in October of this year. Small disclaimer, again, like Red Dead Redemption, I had very, 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 very little to do with this video game, but my name is in the credits for this game, which is something I will swear to God take to my grave, even though I don't deserve that credit. Lucas was very kind to put me in the credits for some small help I helped, small help I did for him on this game. But besides that, I had not really played the game or anything prior to the game being released. When I finally got to play the game, I sat down with it. I didn't know what to expect. I don't think anyone knew what to expect, really. Lucas was very coy with how he was presenting it. There was a demo out there that people kind of got to try, and they were like, oh, is this going to be it, and everything. But, man, the more you play this game, the more just it unravels. It's fantastic. For those of you who don't know, The Return of the Obra Dinn is a video game all about being put onto a ghost ship that's returned, the Obra Dinn, where everyone, the crew and the passengers, have all died. And the game's objective is to discover how they all died. Well, to do that, you use a like a, a, a stopwatch, a magical stopwatch, that can take you back to the moment of death of a certain person. Now, you use this stopwatch to go back, and then you are in the freeze frame, after hearing a little bit of uh, vocal passage that gives you more details and more clues as to how or who was there at the time of the death. And then you walk around this set piece on the ship, piecing together how that person died, what what was used or how they died, whether it was a gun or a sword or a monster or something, and who killed them or what killed them. You have a book that you are filling out and you have to put a name and a death to every person on the ship. And the idea is to get all the crew members, all uh, 60, I believe it's 60 of them, um, and basically fill out this book. It is a puzzle game where, like I said, kind of like an escape room, you go to the freeze frame of the death and then you walk around that space trying to piece together every bit of detail. You have like a, a piece of artwork of all the people on the ship and you're trying to put names to faces and trying to think about the weapons that we use like it's not as it's not as easy as like oh he was killed with a knife it was like was he stabbed was he gutted was he slashed or if he was shot was he shot or was he like blown away by a cannon like there are in-depth layers to this game that go beyond this very surface of what you can think about when it comes to murder mystery 
It's pretty much the best detective game I have ever played. No game has been able to make you really feel like you yourself is figuring things out. Oberdin does not hold your hand whatsoever. It gives you the tools to figure out what to do. And it very much lays out for you without fluff, without stuff over the top. It just lays out like this. Who is this guy? Who is this woman? How did they die? Who killed them? And then the more you piece it together, the more you start to find out the story of the Obra Dinn and what happened to everyone on the ship and how crazy it can get. It is by far the best detective game I've ever played. It's probably the best puzzle game I've ever played in my opinion. I'm not very good at puzzle games. Uh, and Obra Dinn took me a while. I had a pen and paper next to me. I was making notes the whole time. I feel like a lot of people who play this game have. And yeah, it's it's incredible. It's a fantastic game. I don't want to say any more about Oberdin without spoiling it. I feel like it is one of those games that is way, way better when you're not told what happens or what it's about too much. Um, obviously, apart from the surface level that you're using a stopwatch to uh, find out what happens to everybody. Lucas did this all by himself and I am remiss how someone could do that. It's incredible I, how that guy gets to be as handsome as he is as well as being so smart blows me away. But if you have not played Oberdin yet and you're interested, please, please go pick it up. Games like this need to be supported. Lucas is, is fantastic. He's such a lovely guy as well and he's a genius. Please go support him and his games. Play Return of the Oberdin and enjoy one of the best experiences of 2018. Come follow me I'll show you the side of the world The places that you'll never see Come follow me Come follow me I'll show you the side of yourself The person that you've always been But never dreamed Just Tetris is what a lot of people were saying about this next game that I'm going to be taking to the island of 2018 to Kanto with me to play with my Pokemon friends. This game is not just Tetris. It is Tetris in name. It is Tetris in gameplay. But it's a whole lot more than that. The game that Mizuguchi-san and Mark McDonald put together, uh, developed by Monstars and published by Enhance, Mizuguchi-san's company. For those of you who don't know, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, creator of Res, um, his new company created this brand new game that released in November. It is Tetris Effect. And, well, it is Tetris. Yeah, it most definitely is Tetris. It is probably the best version of Tetris ever made, in my opinion. It is way more than that. 
I am not surprised to see that Eurogamer's game of the year was Tetris Effect. That does not surprise me. Some people that might surprise them in a game in a year where we got God of War and and Celeste and Oberdin and Red Dead Redemption Two and Spider Man that that Tetris, a game that's been around for nearly thirty plus years, won Game of the Year at one of the world's biggest video game publications. No, this game is fantastic. It's like the most zen-like experience I've ever had. Whether you play it in PSVR or you don't, it is the combination of visuals and music and puzzle game. I don't even want to say puzzle game because I feel like Tetris is just a game for your brain. It is, which by definition is a puzzle game, I know. But I mean, like, it is your brain just working itself. It's like you're almost, when you look at Tetris, especially in Tetris Effect, it's like you're just looking at the inner workings of your brain. Your brain is just stacking and folding and turning things. And it's just trying to figure out how everything neatly fits together. Just like in life, trying to put things in order. Not everything always fits in order and sometimes everything stacks on top of each other and it gets out of hand, which is a very good metaphorical version of uh, life compared to Tetris. Thank you very much. I'm a professional. Uh, But no, Tetris Effect is just a fantastic, wonderful game. I don't really know what, what more can be said about Tetris Effect. Yes, it is Tetris. Quote, it's just Tetris. No, it's this Zen-like experience that combines such wonderful visuals like very Mizuguchi-san visuals. If you played Res or you know anything about the kind of work that Mizuguchi-san does, you'll know what to expect with the visuals of Tetris Effect. And also on top of that, the music. The music is wonderful. I know that this game won a lot of awards for sound. The way you place pieces and they play corresponding sound, corresponding sound effects depending on the track you're playing. It's like your your own little puzzle DJ. And then you're playing Tetris, which is, you know, Tetris. Tetris is a fantastic video game anyway. So you combine all of that together on top of, like, all the different modes that they have. It allows you to customize Tetris to suit your skill level and also for you to just chill out and and play. I knew I was going to like this game because it's very hard not to like a game like this. But I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I, I you know, I talked about it so much on Dad and Sons, trying to convince Matt that it was way beyond just being Tetris. George agrees with me. And it is wonderful. If you passed over this game because you think it is just Tetris, but you love puzzle games and you love Tetris, go play Tetris Effect. If you have a PlayStation VR, you should be playing Tetris Effect. You should have it in your collection because it's one of the best PlayStation VR games as well. Um, It is fantastic. It is... Congratulations to Mr. Goodsan and Mark on their achievements with this game and the teams that they have. It is fantastic and I, I'm i going to be continually playing this. I still probably play it once a week, even now, just to, just to chill out and relax and to, I don't know, reset my brain a little bit. It is great. Honestly, it's not just Tetris. Please go play Tetris Effect.
Okay, so taking with us to the island of 2018, to Kanto, is our next game, which is Kanto. Yes, I know. I'm as surprised as you are. The next game that I want to take to the island of 2018 is Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu slash Let's Go Eevee. Although I didn't play Let's Go Eevee, I played Let's Go Pikachu. 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 Uh, it released in November of 2018 for the Nintendo Switch. It's the first Pokemon game on Nintendo Switch. Hopefully 2019 we'll see another big Pokemon RPG. Finally, the big console Pokemon RPG we've always wanted. But until then... We're playing Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, which is a remake of Pokemon Yellow. They're, well, enhanced remake, I get. Well, actually, no, this is a full-on remake, isn't it? It's gorgeous. That's why it's our island of 2018. Uh, it combines traditional Pokemon RPG mechanics with the mobile game Pokemon Go. And I'm as surprised as you are. Because I was ready, going back to Dan Sons, I know this is not that podcast, this is Final Games, but if you do listen to Dan Sons, you'll know I ranted and ranted about this game for so long before its launch. I was so frustrated that they did away with battling uh, for the most part um, and replaced it with the Pokemon Go mechanic, which I find dumb and stupid. And they made so many changes that just looked unappealing. But then I played it. And in the beginning, I didn't particularly like it. It was, as people said, it was a lot more, not handholdy, but it was a lot easier. The game wouldn't allow you to take on gym challenges until you had certain specific Pokemon that would make you definitely win against the Pokemon uh, gym leader, which was insultingly easy, even for children. Like, Pokemon games, I've always been for children anyway. They are, by definition, easy. You don't need to make them easier. There was a lot of changes that were really frustrating to deal with. But the more I played the game, the more I realized how much of these changes make sense. Now, first of all, let's talk about the battle system. For trainer battles, you have the traditional Pokemon battle system. You know, two Pokemon facing off against each other, or four Pokemon if you're doing a double battle. Um, with the moves, status effects, items, all that kind of jazz. No changes there. And it's brilliant, and all the new animations are fantastic. But when you're catching Pokemon now, the first change is that you, there's no random encounters. When you walk through an area, or you walk through a route, you find the Pokemon by looking at them, because they appear on in the open world. You can see them, and then you can run over to them and catch them. Which is fantastic. The best change in that game so far. Seeing what Pokemon are there means you're not wandering around in grass for hours and hours looking for specific Pokemon that you don't know if you're going to come across and then just encountering the same Pokemon over and over again, which was incredibly frustrating and tedious and time-consuming. Thank God they got rid of that change. So now being able to see the Pokemon you want to catch, if you can't see it there, you just ignore the Pokemon that are there and just keep moving. It's great. That is a great change. Then when you get into catching those Pokemon, they have done away with the battle system. Instead, you throw a Pokeball via motion control at the Pokemon and you catch it like you would in Pokemon Go. Throwing a Pokeball at the Pokemon, uh, trying to get it inside of the ring, the different colored ring. If it's green, it's easier. Orange, red, more difficult. Now, 
it's fine, right? It's fine. The, the Pokemon Go mechanic itself is fine. It's a lot faster, which is great if you're trying to catch lots of Pokemon. I'm not that person. Like, people who are trying to catch, like, 15 Growlifes in a row to get a Shiny. For you guys, that's a lot more simpler. I get it. It's a lot easier. But for someone like me who just wants to catch one version of every Pokemon so I can fill out the Pokedex, for me, it's not that exciting. It's very fast and simple, and it doesn't feel as satisfying as when I have to battle to catch a Pokemon. Even if the battle is easy, it's still me pitting the Pokemon I've trained against another Pokemon to weaken it to catch it. I like that system. So, to me, it's a step down. Now, what makes this change even worse is the fact that the motion controls for this game do not work. They are frustrating and stupid, and they do not work very well. The Switch is fine for motion control, but it is not perfect, and that really hinders being comfortable trying to just play a Pokemon game. A Pokemon game is an RPG. It's a game you sit down for hours and hours and hours playing. It's not, it's not a mini-game-based video game where you spend like 20 minutes playing it and you turn it off and you've had fun, you can get exhausted. But this is a game that requires you, if you're going to use the motion controls, to sit straight on your couch and to be using your arm motion constantly, which is exhausting and tiring, especially for people who have disabilities or have uh, you know injuries to the arms or issues like that. It's very bad. I, I, it amazes me that Nintendo didn't allow for people to just play this game with a joy, uh, with a pro controller or the Joy-Cons in the dog grip and just play it like a normal Pokemon game. I don't get it. But they did it. Playing it handheld allows you to use the gyroscope motion control, which is way more accurate and better and is not so tiring, but it's still stupid. It's still stupid that you can you don't have the option to catch Pokemon by just throwing the ball in a straight arc or aiming with the controls. Beyond that change, though, everything else is way better about this game. The writing in the game is faster. NPCs are more helpful. And because, and this is, I think, very specific to me personally in the way I played the game, which made it better for me, as I mentioned, I don't catch multiples of one Pokemon. If I have one Growlithe, I don't need another Growlithe, unless for a specific reason, like it's 15 levels higher or something like that. I just want to catch the Pokemon I get, bond with those Pokemon, use them throughout my story, have them truly become my friends. You don't see Ash walking around with 10 different Pikachus, you know? That's his one Pikachu, yeah? Like, that's how I am. I want to fill out the Pokedex. I don't want to catch 15 to 20 to 30 of the same Pokemon just because I can get a shiny or just because I can trade them for candy with Professor Oak. So for me, I was not getting the same experience, and by experience I mean XP, as other players. If you catch 15 Growlifes, you're, you, the Pokemon in your party are going to get lots and lots of XP. Whereas I was only catching one, so I wasn't getting as much XP as those players. Which is how I think Game Freak have developed the game to be like. They want people to catch lots and lots of Pokemon. But this worked in my favor because this meant I was not massively overleveled when I played against gym leaders or other trainers. I was almost either under the level or of the same level as the trainer or the gym leader, which is great because it made the game more difficult. It wasn't like when I was a kid and I would just grind forever because I was doing random encounter after random encounter after random encounter trying to catch a certain Pokemon where 
the experience my Pokemon were getting would just mean automatically I was going to be overleveled. This meant I always stayed on a very steady level. I was never massively overleveled. I was never massively underleveled. But it meant when I actually battled trainers and gym leaders, it was a challenge. Like, they generally could beat me if they had, like, a type advantage or they used items. It made this to be pretty much the first Pokemon experience I've had where it was a unique challenge. It wasn't difficult, per se, but it wasn't just like, oh, I'm 10 levels higher, I'll just use Tackle and I'll wipe out this Pokemon's HP immediately. It was like, no... I had to use buffs and, and status effects like sleep and poison and uh, paralyze. I had to use type advantage. I had to change Pokemon, which is very rare. I've never had to really change between two Pokemon in Pokemon battles when I was a kid. I could just use the one Pokemon at the front of my party to defeat all six of the other trainers. But it meant that every battle was more exciting. It was way worth sticking with the way I played. And right until the end of the game, I still was on the level of the, you know, the Elite Four. And it was it was a really good challenge. And I felt like this is, this is what I've always wanted in a Pokemon game. I've wanted to feel like I was a Pokemon master. Like a, I was catching all the Pokemon in the Pokedex, which is great because, you know, it's the original 151. So that means it was a lot more attainable to get the Pokedex. I haven't quite filled it out, but I'm getting there. And also, the battles were like, a, a, was two good trainers facing each other in a battle like of wits. Who could use their Pokemon to their advantage and who was the smartest? It felt good. And the way I played meant, even though it was kind of not the way you're meant to play the game, because obviously they give you tons and tons of Pokeballs and tons and tons of Pokemon. So you're, it's almost like Pokemon Go where you're just meant to catch repeats of the same Pokemon over and over again. No, I just stayed mid-leveled and it made the challenge really good and it was the first pokemon game i had enjoyed in a long time and i couldn't believe it i was so surprised so why would i not want to take a good pokemon game with me to the island of 2018 even though it's a remake of pokemon yellow i can't not take a game that i finally am enjoying that's a pokemon game a series i love dearly to the island with me if you have put off playing Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee because you it looks easy or you kind of don't want to deal with the Pokemon Go mechanics, do what I did. Play it in handheld. Don't catch multiples of the same Pokemon unless it's a specific Pokemon you want a shiny of. Don't just overlevel your team. Stick it like a good level. Just catch one variant of every Pokemon and then just go through it, you know, playing the game. It's really good fun. I think you'll enjoy it.
So we're down to the last two games that we're going to take to the island of 2018. And these are easily my two favorite games of the year. I think if you've listened to Final Games or Dad and Sons or you follow me on Twitter over this year, you'll know exactly what these two games are, especially one of them. I mean, I'm as predictable as pudding when it comes to Nintendo games. But we'll, we'll save that one for last because, of course, it's me. But the game I'm going to talk about now is my, my game of the year. This is the best game I've played this year. It's possibly one of the best games I've played in the past 10 years. Um, I'm very lucky to have interviewed one of the designers and developers of this game on Final Games this year, Justin Ma, who has since become a very good friend of mine, and, and he's been over in Japan and stuff like that, which I'm still so thankful to everyone who listens to the show, so I get to do crazy stuff like that. Talking about game design with all these wonderfully talented people is just my my favorite thing in the world. Um, but this game is just... It's just wow. This is my game of the year. It is the game that released in February of last year. I can't believe it's getting on for a year old. It released on Switch in August after I begged Justin to make a version. I'm going to say that's all thanks to me, <laughs> even though he wouldn't tell me at the time. Um, I have double dipped. I bought it on Switch and I bought it on PC as well. Of course, I need to take it everywhere with me. It is one of the best tactic-based, turn-based strategy video games I've ever played. One of the best designed video games I've also ever played. It is Into the Breach. And I don't really know what to say about this because I've said so much already about this video game. It... It's my game of the year for the Dad and Sons Dad Awards. It's my game of the year in general. It's definitely coming with me to the island of 2018. For those of you who don't know and have heard about Into the Breach but haven't played it, it's a game set in the far future. It's kind of Pacific Rim, the video game. What it is is you are a group of mechs, like all mech pilots in mechs, that are fighting against an army of monsters called the Vec. And they're like an alien bug race that have invaded the Earth. And you are tasked with going to areas where they have uh, breached the uh, an area. And uh, you have to, using time manipulation, you have to defeat them. Now, there are great tactics-based games out there. You know, if you think XCOM or you think uh, Advance Wars or Fire Emblem or other games like that. But they're all very linear in you attack, they attack, you attack, they attack, you defend, they defend. Now what is so smart about Into the Breach is that it uses its time manipulation aesthetic and uh, plot device in its gameplay. And by this is that you can foresee what the Vec are going to do. So you know on the next turn where the Vec will move or what they will attack. And the idea is you have to stop the Vec from attacking buildings or attacking you, your mechs, or attacking like uh, power supplies and stuff like that. Because once you run out of power, or all your mech pilots and mechs are destroyed, that's game over. And the, the, the power goes across all levels in the game. So the idea is you never want to lose any power. And once a building's destroyed, you lose power and you lose population count. You want a high population count because you get a better score. So you can foresee what the VEC are going to do. So then you don't just attack the VEC on your turn. What you have to do is you have to counteract. It's always about counteracting. 
you have to push them out of the way so they hit into empty space, or you have to divert their attacks on each other, or you have to just destroy them before they can attack on the next turn. And you can always see the order of which everyone will attack, so you have to plot out in your head the future. You literally have to plot out the future in your own head as to what will happen on the next turn before you press it. Because the fact is, once you press it, you have to then deal with the outcome. And it can be so intense. You, I have very much, on multiple playthroughs of Into the Breach, um, I have sat for almost an hour on one turn, trying to figure out what the best way to do things is. Because even when it seems impossible or you're going to take so much damage, or you're going to lose a building, or you lose a unit, there is always one combination that will save you. You just have to dig deep and find it. And this game is just so smart. It's so, so smart. I can't, I'm going to continually say it, I apologize, but it is fantastic. The game design levels of this go beyond just being a fun game to play. It is a game that makes you really, really think. And even if you're not the smartest person, like like me, I'm not very smart. Even though some of the games in here, Oberdin, Into the Breach, uh, and uh, Tetris Effect, and all that kind of stuff, require you know mental brain power to complete, and all that kind of stuff, it 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 treats you like you're a scientist, like like you are a a, a fantastic tactician. Who can, who can deal with almost any situation. It puts you in such intense but satisfying situations that when all, I'm going to use a Lord of the Rings quote here, when all host, hope seems lost, you can overcome and you can win. And yes, it's a really tough game. It's not as tough as FTL, which is a game I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, it's not as tough as FTL, but it's so tough and once you overcome that though once you get smarter once you outwit the vec you feel so fulfilled so satisfied you feel so smart i've never had a game make me feel that smart even the oberdin doesn't make me feel as smart as into the breach does there's just so much going on and the pace at which you can take as slow as you want to deal with it. You're like almost frozen in time with how you deal with it. I, I could talk about Into the Breach for a long time about how fantastic, how just wonderful this game is. But I would much rather you go play it for yourselves. If you like tactics games, if you like games like chess or, or such, if you, if, you, if you just like games that make you feel smart, if you like games that are intense... Please play Into the Breach. And, of course, if we're going to an island where we can take games, we want games that are infinitely replayable. And all of Into the Breach is procedurally generated. It is all random. And it is wonderful. It is my game of the year, and I would absolutely take it to the island of 2018. Huge congrats to Subset Games, and of course, Justin and Matthew, for their wonderful creation. Thank you so much for gracing my life with such a great game. But of course, we must move on to the final game of the island of 2018. I think you all know what it is. So let's listen to some music from the next game. And let's, of course, dive straight into the final game of the final games of 2018.
And so, too, here we are, the final game of the island of 2018. Before we set foot off in our Pokemon adventure into Kanto, we have to take a game that does feature Pokemon in quite heavily, heavily influence. Um, thank you so much for to listening to me ramble for just over an hour about eight wonderful games that I enjoy. I am as predictable as anything, so if you are a fan of Final Games or any of the things I do, you know damn well what this video game is. There is no way in a year where a Smash Brothers game was released that I would not take a Smash game with me to the island of 2018. Of course, the final game on this list is Masahiro Sakurai's like masterpiece, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. It came out in December... Late, late into the year was the very much the final game of the year that I was playing. It is the best Smash Brothers game, in my opinion. I know it's early days, and I like Smash Brothers Wii U a lot. That was my favorite Smash Brothers game before that. I am not. First off, I am not like a competitive melee player. For any of you who've watched the Dan Sun streams where I played against George and Matt. You'll know, but I'm decent. I'm decent. I'm pretty good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I was beating those guys, but I'm by no way a competitive player. Smash for me is just pure fun. It is all about fun with friends and being washed over by Nintendo nostalgia and Nintendo history. It is like a museum piece of all of my childhood and all of my favorite things. It has so many little knocks and bits about the best video games and some of the best series ever made nintendo's complete history in one video game smash brothers ultimate is just so damn fun and i love everything about it even with some of the weakest parts of the game like the world of light mode which is the single player mode it's not that bad it's fine the spirits are great i love the spirits they are the history part i was talking about the little tidbits of Nintendo niche history that maybe you didn't know about that you're more intrigued to learn about. And also it has a lot of variation and uh, it's a lot of fun. I've never enjoyed single player in Smash up until Smash Brothers Ultimate. I didn't really like Subspace Emissary. I didn't like the story mode in Melee. Uh, Smash Tour in Wii U was just like something I don't think I even tried. But... World of Light and the Spirit Board and all the challenges and everything in this game make it even fun on a single player level. Which is weird because I'm someone who before who was like, I just play Smash, like, local player, multiplayer, GameCube controllers, all that kind of jazz. But I've been playing this game in single player, in handheld mode, just on the bus, in the car, while I'm waiting for my girlfriend to do some shopping. All of that kind of stuff. And I never really thought I would enjoy it, but I have. And on top of it still being Smash Brothers and having the best multiplayer ever, it's great. The online is kind of so-so, but the new characters are great. I love playing all of the new characters. I love Inkling. I love K. Rool. I love the what Sakurai has done to Richter and Simon. I love as a fan of Castlevania. I love that so much. Incineroar, the Pokemon edition, may be one of the strangest Pokemon editions, but by God, it turned out amazing. I love that cat so much. Um, even though his up B is terrible, it's amazing to play him. He looks great. 
The additions to other characters, like having the Ice Climbers back, having Krom as one of the the Fire Emblem Echo characters, having Dark Samus. You know, we still have like Cloud and Bayonetta in it. It's just the ultimate Smash Brothers. It is very much the ultimate Smash Brothers. It's the fastest selling game on Switch and I am not surprised. I love this game dearly. I still play it pretty much every day at the moment. I've streamed it a few times uh, with some community members. It's great. All the new stages are great. The, the music, you know, the, the 800 plus music that we get in this game is fantastic. It's just everything I've ever wanted in a Smash Brothers game. I am a sucker. I know all of you know this already, but I am. I have a professional weakness for Smash Brothers. I, I lose all professional biasness. And although I can see why some people maybe are having problems with Ultimate, there are definitely bugs and stuff, which is which is unique for a Nintendo game, because Nintendo games very rarely have bugs. There are some bugs with this game. I mean, in a game so massive with so much in it, I'm not surprised. Um, and yes, the online is not great. And I hope it gets better. And I imagine it will over time. But it's still fun. It's wonderful. I love this game a great deal. And there is no way. There is no way I cannot take a Smash Bros. game to the island of 2018. And of course it would be the last game on the list. I'm going to continually playing my Incineroar and my uh, Richter Belmont into 2019 and beyond, as well as getting Joker from Persona 5 and Piranha Plant soon enough to... We're even getting Joker from Persona 5. Like, oh my god. Yeah, it's crazy. Everything that's happening with Smash Bros. is crazy. I still get to play with a GameCube controller, which makes me happy too. I'm one of those losers who will defend the GameCube controller till my death. Yes. Oh, Ridley as well? Oh, who can forget Ridley? Oh, it's wonderful. I imagine all of you are having fun with Smash Ultimate as much as I am. It's a wonderful video game that I don't want to let go of. And I have to take it to the island of 2018 with me. I'm going to be catching Pokemon in Kanto whilst also walking around, playing my handheld Smash, and enjoying all of these wonderful games. It has been... A pleasure playing Smash Brothers this past month. I hope you're enjoying it just as much as I am. And with that, we have come to the end of the island of 2018. Going to Kanto now with my Pokemon buddies to play these eight wonderful games from 2018. What a list of games. Red Dead Redemption 2, Celeste, Monster Hunter World, Return of the Oprah Den, Tetris Effect, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, Into the Breach, Smash Ultimate. It's It's been a wonderful year for video games. I There are so many games that didn't make it onto this list that... I could have chosen, of course, you know, God of War and Spider-Man were up there. We discussed. There were there was great fighting games this year, like Dragon Ball Fighter Z, which was wonderful. Soul Calibur 6, which is the most fun I've had with a character customization tool in a long time. There were other great games that I played, like Valkyria Chronicles 4, which was the, one of the best tactics games I played this year as well. We had Dead Cells, we had Wonder Song, we had Gris. There are so many 
indie games that came out this year that were fantastic as well. Uh, we had, you know, Dragon Quest XI. Uh, yeah, was it 11 or 12? Yeah, 11. <laughs> I keep confusing 10 and 11. 10 is the MMO. We had Dragon Quest XI come out. You know, the PSVR is going strong with you know, Tetris Effect, of course, but also Astrobot and Super Hot and all that kind of other stuff. We had Octopath Traveler on the Switch, too. There were incredible games this year. Moonlighter, Time Spinner. 2018 was a damn good year for video games, and I am so happy to have been able to play all of these video games this year. I hope you all enjoyed these video games, no matter what your game of the year is. If people don't like your game of the year, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you enjoyed that game. People all have wildly, vastly different opinions, and the eight games that I've chosen today probably don't reflect your eight, and you probably disagree with me on a lot of what I've spoken about or chosen, but I hope I've given you some insight to what has been so enjoyable in 2018 for me personally. I am so excited that here now in 2019, we're going to have another great year for video games. I mean, this month alone, we're starting off with like Resident Evil 2. Uh, we have Yik, Y2K. We have, oh my god, the, what, what is coming out in January? January 2019, video game uh, releases. Why am I doing this live? Uh, oh my god. Yeah, we have Ace Combat, Travis Strikes Again. Oh my god, wow. Yeah, looking strong. We're going to have another great year, I hope. 2018 is going to take some topping. But, you know, we've got other games like Anthem is coming out. We've got <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3. We've got Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which, by the way, looks fantastic. I'm so excited about Resident Evil 2. Oh, maybe Crackdown 3. Oh, my God. It's going to be a big year for video games, just like it was last year. I, Our industry is growing strength to strength. It's wonderful time to be a part of it. I hope that you continue to love video games and be a part of this industry with me into 2019. Thank you so much personally, of course, as I had mentioned, for listening to Final Games. You guys are the reason I continue to do it, and you guys are also the reason that I still get to do it. So please continue listening and bear with me through all my, all my ups and downs with the show. Uh, if you like listening to me, talk about video games, you can listen to me on a weekly basis, talk with two of my best friends, Super Bunny Hop George Weedman and Matt Visual uh, on the Dad and Sons podcast. You may have heard me talk about it a lot during this episode of Final Games. Um, it's the weekly video game podcast where we talk about mostly other things other than video games. Uh, yeah, that's how that works out. Um, in terms of like what's happening with me right now, I know I've said that as I'm moving to Kyoto, Japan. I am. I'm moving from my city right now. I'm moving over to Kyoto um, because I have a new job uh, that I'm going to be starting soon that I'm looking forward to telling you all about. Um, but more on that later in the future. Uh, until then, though, please bear with me. It's going to be a busy time. It's going to be a busy start of the year. I'm going to be playing Resident Evil, I hope, while also moving, while also podcasting, while also doing lots of other stuff. I very much wish you the best for 2019. I hope everything that you want to do comes true. I hope all your New Year's resolutions stay true. And I hope that you find something new in 2019 to enjoy. Maybe this year, try a different genre of video game or... Try to be more positive about video games. If you are someone who likes to complain about video games online, how about, you know, being more positive? 
we have ups and downs with the video game industry and I think it's really important that we stick together because our industry is growing and we have new people coming to experience the games we love more and more and we want to welcome those people to enjoy the games just as much as we do. I really hope video games continue to be as accessible and as wonderful as they have been this year and I hope that continues in 2019. But until then... And until next time on Final Games, thank you so much for listening to this. Please go ahead and feel free to tell me your eight video games from the island of 2018 that you would personally take to the island on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at LiamBME. You can find Final Games at Final Games Show. And of course, it's on iTunes where you can rate and review the show, which really helps out. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Stitcher and Acast and all those wonderful places. If you fancy helping to support the show, you can support me on patreon.com forward slash Liam Edwards, where you can support all the kind of crazy things I do. I am terrible at Patreon, but thank you so much to everyone who continually helps me out and helps me to keep the show going through Patreon. Thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate it. But until then, enjoy gaming. Enjoy 2019. Thank you.